Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Science of Social Impact. With me today is Jenna Ben Scherscher, founder and CEO of Twist Out Cancer. At the age of 29, Jenna was diagnosed with gray zone lymphoma, a rare form of cancer which affects less than 300 people in the United States. Today, we're going to talk about how, when Jenna was alone inside the hospital and started dancing, it led to the creation of an amazing nonprofit organization. Jenna, thanks so much for joining us. Say hello to all the listeners and tell us your favorite color. Thank you so much for having me. I would say my favorite color, it it goes back and forth, but blue is probably my overall favorite color, but I also love magenta. I'm a, a bright colored girl. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I myself am a green person, but uh, there's a lot of different colors for that exact reason. So everyone has their own. So I appreciate that. Um, So Jenna, uh, we're going to deliver a lot of value on this episode today. I'm super excited to talk about Twist Out Cancer, your story, your journey. But let's start with um, a value statement. Let's start with that core belief that you kind of operate under and your life's experience have really brought you to. Yeah, so I would say my value statement is something that I coined when I was in the midst of treatment, and it's this concept that when you share, the world opens up. Mm. That's a powerful statement. When you share, the world opens up, and we are going to unpack that statement in this conversation. I'm very excited to do that. So um, before before we go back to the origin story of how kind of it all started. Just frame up for our listeners, what is Twist Out Cancer uh, in a nutshell today and what does it do today? And then we'll take us all the way back to the origin and work our way back. Sure. So Twist Out Cancer provides psychosocial support, which is a fancy word for emotional support for individuals touched by cancer through creative arts programming. So everything that we do is based on using the creative arts as a mechanism for healing. And since we started and officially in 2012, we've impacted over 130,000 people through brushes with cancer and creative arts programs like Twist Shops, which I'll tell you more about later. Awesome. Cannot wait. Well, take us back to the start. I mean, Twist Out Cancer, you are the founder. So as far back as you want to go, tell us about, about Jenna and the journey. Yeah. So it's always like a hard thing to ask, like, where do you start? And then where do you stop? I think, especially for those of us that have faced any type of medical crisis, it's hard to sort of figure out that narrative. And I think I've been sort of on that mission to do that for the last nine years. So if I begin, so back in 2010, at the age of 29, I was diagnosed with gray zone lymphoma, which as you mentioned, is this super rare type of blood cancer. At the time when I was diagnosed, um, there wasn't even, I mean, there were no clinical trials. There was no information about my illness. There was a Wikipedia page that had one sentence that said, gray zone lymphoma is a hybrid of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was it. That's all you get. That's all I got. Yeah, that was all I got. And so that wasn't incredibly helpful. There weren't really statistics about what was the likelihood of Uh, that I would live another year, let alone another five years or maybe even 10 years. Um, So with the lack of information, I very early on made this decision that I was going to write my own story. 
and that I wasn't going to get bogged down with all the what ifs because that's all that I was surrounded by was all this sort of nervousness about am I going to be able to make it to 30 and I am I going to be able to have kids and have a family and do all these things that I've always dreamed about doing so in this weird way because I had no information I just felt incredibly empowered to do all that I could I was willing to throw everything at my cancer journey to ensure that I was going to be around for as long as possible. So it was this sort of interesting experience because, you know, at the time when I was 29, I was really healthy. I was arguably in the best shape of my life. I was working out about five days a week. I was in a new relationship. I was working full time at the anti-defamation league. I had a great gig there, had wonderful co-workers. I was living on my own in this great high rise in Chicago. Overlooking life was lake. good. Life was awesome. It was awesome. Um, And it was, you know, I would say that in February, my body started kind of changing. And I noticed it pretty early on just because I've always been very in tune with my body. I was someone that didn't get sick often. And so when I started having flu-like symptoms that were kind of persistent, they would stay for a couple weeks and they would go away. Then they'd come back a couple weeks later. I found myself going into doctor's appointments fairly regularly and everyone was telling me, you have the flu, rest up, Mm. drink enough fluids, take some time off. And so that's what I was doing. But I think the kicker for me was that as someone that functioned typically on seven hours of sleep, eight hours at best, I mean, I've always been a morning person. I've always, even prior to children have had, have been up at six, if not earlier, when I was having trouble getting out of bed at nine o'clock in the morning to get to work, I knew that there was something wrong. And it, it was pretty clear that when I came back from this trip where I led about 25 young adults to Germany through my work at the ADL, I, I then went to Buenos Aires to visit a friend that was on this like huge tour of travel and it was amazing, but I just like legitimately couldn't keep up with her. And granted, wow you know, life in Buenos Aires is totally different. You go for dinner at 10, you're going out to clubs at 12, then you're coming home at five or six. But I really like, I just couldn't keep up. By 10 o'clock, I was ready to go to bed. And when I returned home, it was the same thing where I just couldn't get enough sleep. And then I would say that the thing that really made me nervous was that I was losing weight and it was not something I was actively trying to do. It was not Mm -hmm. something that I really needed to do. And so I I ended up losing about 10 pounds in a month and people were starting to notice and saying, you okay? Like what's going on? Some people were saying, oh, you look great. So that was a little confusing. Right. Wow. And yeah. and, And so it was all of those things that really led me to continuing to persist to go into the doctor and to say, this is not the flu. I'm convinced it's something else. And then finally, as things started progressing, I was having trouble moving my head left to right and having trouble Mm. breathing. And it was very clear that there was something more going on. And so thankfully I had an orthopedist that had the wherewithal to say, listen, you've come here with this neck pain. We gave you steroids it went away and now you're back. Let's get a scan. And it was because of that scan we then found a bunch of tumors that were in my mediastinum. So in my chest and in my neck. Wow. Um, And it became very clear that this was not the flu, that this was something much more serious. And so that was really, it was only in December of 2010. So almost a full year later of having symptoms when I was diagnosed with gray zone lymphoma. And in a weird way, this is like the crazy part of the story is that 
the guy that I was dating at the time, his sister wrote an article for, in Time Magazine that was on fertility navigation. And the like cutting edge place to have fertility preservation was at Northwestern Hospital, which is where I was getting all of my, all of my doctor's appointments, oncology, everything was taking place there. And so getting diagnosed with cancer around Christmas is not the best. Um, people are out of town. And so I was having trouble getting an appointment. I finally got in to see someone on December 20th. And before I even knew what type of cancer I had, I had a meeting at the Onco Fertility Consortium, which is led by Teresa Woodruff. She's an incredible researcher. She's doing cutting edge work for cancer survivors. And I ended up checking in and learning all about fertility preservation before I even knew what type of blood cancer that I had. And it was during that period of time of waiting where I was able to sort of proactively make some decisions about whether or not I wanted to go through fertility preservation. And finally, they thought that I had had Hodgkin's lymphoma based on my presentation and on my age and on the location. And it was only because I underwent fertility preservation at that time that they were then able to do further testing where they sent out my scans and sent wow. out samples to Maryland. And they ended up looking further at the sort of tissue to see what it was. And that's when they realized that it actually wasn't Hodgkin's lymphoma, it was Grayson lymphoma. So in this crazy way, going through fertility ended up saving my life because it bought me more time to then finally realized that I had the wrong diagnosis. And had I gone through treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma, there is a very strong likelihood that I would have relapsed and may not be here. So it's crazy. It's a totally crazy part Wild. of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was it. So that was my cancer situation. I got, was diagnosed. I went through six rounds of really intensive chemotherapy. They blasted me with a leukemia type chemotherapy where I was spending about five to six days inpatient at a time with about 120 hours of chemo. And then I would go home and recover for two weeks, two and a half weeks, and then do it again. Um, and so I went through all of that. And then at the end, when I was finally getting ready for re-entry and super excited to finally go back to the workplace, I ended up coming down with sepsis and came very close to dying at that point. And it was a very terrifying experience to being so close to um, being able to sort of regain your life, whatever that means, and to then be facing another major medical crisis at the very end was a very frightening piece of all of it. But it showed me um, that it's really important to slow down and that it's not over till it's over. And I'm not even sure that I would say that it's over now. I mean, there's obviously residual effects of going mm -hmm. through cancer even nine years later. Um, so that that was my cancer story. And you know, I, I realized very early that I wasn't going to be quiet about what I was experiencing. It was almost this sort of like out of body experience for me of, of really wanting to bring people in to what I was going through is in some ways out of necessity, because I think I felt that it was so crazy what I was experiencing. And, and I felt very quickly disconnected from the world around me. And I found that the more that I would write about it and express what I was experiencing, the more connected I was feeling with other people. And so that phrase, when you share, the world opens up, 
was really about me being very open and honest and raw through a blog that I started called Kill It in the Butt, which was a ridiculous name, but so was getting (laughs) cancer at 29. So, you know, um, so I just started sharing. And the more I shared, the more I was getting these letters from people from all over the world that were sending in their secrets and their vulnerabilities and what they were going through. And most of the time it had nothing to do with cancer. It was like, I was giving them permission to be vulnerable and to be open because I was so raw and open about my experience. Wow. So kill it in the butt is, uh, why that name? Um, it was just ridiculous. Honestly, there was no real, um, story to that. It was just a ridiculous name and it kind of made me laugh. And, you know, I did try and find humor along the way, even though there was a lot of hard hard, uh, stuff I was dealing with. Were you someone before this journey that um, always did like really like to share and, and get joy and, you know, bringing people in or were you not that in this kind of shape that? It's a good question. Um, you know, listen, I, I, I grew up in a family of emotional creatures. So <laughs> like my mom's a psychologist. My background is in social work. My sister's a social worker. I just remember us sitting around and we would just talk about our feelings a lot in my house. So I was not shy about being expressive and being open about where I was at emotionally. But I also think that there were tons of things that I experienced that I was not like shouting from the mountaintops and saying, I've gone through this. You should listen to me. I think I, think I realized very early that A, I was young, I was dealing with a super rare type of cancer, and I was going through something that I didn't know anyone else like me that was going through. Like, I didn't know other young cancer survivors when I was first diagnosed. That changed very quickly due to, you know, Immerman Angels and lots of other amazing philanthropic organizations based in Chicago. Like, I was able to create a cancer crew that was so integral to really saving my life. I really attribute those friendships as making such a huge difference in my state of mind. Mm. Um, But yeah, it wasn't like so atypical for me to be sharing, but the level in which I was sharing, I would say was different. Um, And, you know, listen, I've, I've, my background is in nonprofit management. I was working at ADL. I was working with young leaders. I was in leadership positions for a while. So like, championing a cause was not new to me. I just never thought it was going to be this cause. You know, Mm -hmm. I never thought that this was going to be what I was going to become super passionate about, but it was very clear that this is what I needed to do. It was, it was Mm -hmm. pretty immediate. I mean, I set that blog up within two days of, of being diagnosed with cancer. So the, let's talk about the build then of what it today is twist out cancer. So take us from the blog and the success of that and the amount of sharing that goes on there to, I know there's a, there's a dance part of this story. That's really, really interesting. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I started the blog. It was initially a private blog um, just for family and friends, because I, I really learned very quickly that the way you communicate hard news is really important. And I did it all wrong in the beginning. I sent text messages to my best friend saying, I have cancer. Note to self, not the best way to break news. I mean, I had one friend that was almost in a car accident when she looked down and saw it and couldn't believe it. So, you know, when you're diagnosed with something like cancer, sometimes you just want the news to get out really quickly so that you don't have to keep rehashing it. 
So I found that the blog allowed me to just come up with these updates really quickly so that I wouldn't have to like keep getting on the phone, especially when you're physically depleted and emotionally compromised. You just don't want to keep saying bad news over and over again. So it was really out of necessity to just update people. And then I realized that I didn't open it up enough. I had forgotten people that wanted to be included in it. And so I just finally opened it up and said, okay, like here it is. If you want to read it, you can read it. And what started as a place to just update family and friends then became something very different where it was really this place for me to cope with what I was managing and what I was carrying with me. And I, in some ways I look back on it and some of it, some of it is poems and some of it is just writing that would come to me. I'd literally wake up and the blog post would be written. Like I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it, just would come out of me and then I would be able to start my day. And in a way, being able to look back now on these blog posts, even though they're hard to read, um, it's like this compilation of what I experienced and it's sort of set in time and I can always go back and reference it. And I think now more than ever, I'm actually looking at what I experienced because I think it relates so much to what all of us are dealing with. Obviously right now with the pandemic, there's so much overlap there in terms of being stuck in your body or stuck in your house. and fearful of what's outside and fearful of all the uncertainty. So I found myself kind of revisiting those letters. But to get back to your question, so, you know, what started as this blog, I then midway through treatment was frustrated that I didn't know who was reading and who was keeping up with me because the numbers kind of were growing and I didn't understand what the fascination was. I figured, you know, the only people that should be reading it are family and friends, but soon enough, it was very obvious that it had grown beyond that. And so I put a video of myself doing the twist, Chubby Checkers the Twist, and I said, who's joining me on the dance floor? It was very, it was very basic. I mean, when I look at this video, it's embarrassing because I am drugged up. I'm like just fresh out of the hospital. I'm in my studio apartment wearing a wig and I'm just clearly stir crazy. And I'm like, I just need connection. Like this is pre TikTok. TikTok would have been like a godsend yes. for me then. <laughs> you know, this, all that was available was Facebook and YouTube. So I put the video up on YouTube and then posted it to Facebook. And within a couple of days, we had a couple thousand people twisting out cancer. And that was it. That was, it was very simple. I mean, I knock over a lamp in the middle of it. It's that bad of a video. <laughs> I mean, I'm using my you know laptop to like angle it so you could see me dancing. And I did the twist because the twist was the only dance move that I could really physically do. I was really wow. feeling horrible. And I figured all I need to do is go like this. And so that's what I did. And, wow. and I think why it took off was because I was really open and honest. And I think people who had been following saw that this, this was what I needed. I was being very clear in my call to action. And I was very um, clear about what I needed at the time. And it was easy for people to do. It's like, okay, I can take a funny video of myself doing the twist and send it to you. And it was honestly the best thing that, that happened during that whole period where I was able to get these e virtual e-gifts essentially when I was in the hospital or at home recovering. And all of a sudden I was being brought into people's weddings and bar mitzvahs and office parties and cook, you know, barbecues. And I felt connected to people that were following my story. And it was this beautiful thing. And when I finished treatment, I really wanted to figure out a way to take that concept of 
putting out a call to action and then empowering people to actually do something with that. And so when I finished treatment, word started getting out that there was this like twister that would go around and leave people in the twist. I mean, a couple of days after I, f I left hospital with sepsis, I ended up leading 6,000 people at the Lurie Cancer Walk in the twist wow. and shared my story. And it was really crazy. And so then I started going to different, you know, cancer institutions and doing just that, sharing my story, leading in the twist. And it's very counterintuitive when you're sick, you don't feel like dancing, but dancing and moving and reconnecting with a body that has betrayed you is sometimes the most important thing that you can do. Mm. It's the most empowering yeah. thing that I was able to do. Um, so it started that way. And then I realized that that wasn't going to be enough. Um, that was going to get old fast and it wasn't going to be the type of impact that I really wanted. And so soon after, a couple months after I put together a team of people that were smarter than me and that were working in lots of different fields um, and had skill sets that I did not have. And I just said, how do we turn this concept, this grassroots movement that I did not plan on and how do we turn it into a nonprofit? And so Initially, when we started Twist, it was really an online platform for people touched by cancer to share their twists on cancer. So lessons learned, fighting strategies, new mm. perspectives, and then put out calls to actions that are meaningful to them. So for me, it was join me on the dance floor and do the twist. For other people, it's something totally different. And we saw, like, we, we got great response in the beginning, and we thankfully had this amazing woman who I met through my oncologist named Anna Swarthout also a gray zone lymphoma survivor, super rare. The fact that there's 200 of us worldwide, the fact that there was another young adult in my neighborhood, like wow. literally within 15 minutes of where I grew up was pretty crazy. And so I sort of mentored her through the process of going through everything. And she was the first person to upload content to our website at the time. And she was bald and she was midway through treatment. And her call to action was, I'm an art history major. I've lost my sense of creativity, creating unique work of art, not using the shade of gray because gray is all that I'm seeing. And it was poignant and it was raw and it was vulnerable. And within a couple of days, we had people creating art all over the world. We had this young adult survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma who was in Switzerland. She created a whole mural for her in her honor. We had campers in Wisconsin that were decorating cupcakes and made it in, in honor of her. We had dancers in Harlem. We had some sculptors. I mean, it was like literally all different walks of life, people that had no connection to her, but felt really moved by her story and knew that she needed inspiration. Um, they came out of the woodwork to support her. And it was amazing to see how those videos from strangers that were creating art for her ended up creating that spark that allowed her to get back into art. And today she's the mother of two children. She's a professional photographer. She's doing art for a living and she's thriving. And so it just shows me that when you put yourself out there, like I said, getting back to that statement, when you share the world opens up, she was vulnerable. She was open. She was honest. And people from all over the world came to support her. And she would never have known, she would never have been connected to those people had she not shared what she was going through. So that whole concept of using the arts for healing, in her case, it really like got her back into mm -hmm. the arts, 
really sort of struck me. I mean, we had other people submit on our website, but there was nothing that I thought was as um, moving as what she had done and what she had put up. And it really struck me as something that we needed to think about. And so it was her call to action that inspired our signature program, Brushes with Cancer. So we took that and we essentially pivoted. So we started really solely as an online platform that was this call and response, call to action, get the community to respond. We post the videos, they're all there sort of as this you know, legacy for them to look at. And we realized that while the online community is so important, there is no replacement for face-to-face -face interaction. So interesting because we're all living this yeah, right now. Yeah, we sure right? are. Yeah. So we then pivoted and said, okay, let the online community exist, but let's use what's happening online to inspire what we do in person. And so Brushes with Cancer is a program that matches artists with people that have been touched by cancer and they connect and create over a four to six month period. The artist is charged with creating a unique work of art that's reflective of that inspiration's journey with cancer. And it gives the inspiration an opportunity to develop a brand new relationship, what we call unexpected intersections with people they never would have met otherwise. And it's like a blank slate where they don't know that person. They build a relationship where they know cancer is going to be a part of it, but it's not all of it. And the individual touched by can cancer gets a chance to tell their story in a way that allows them to open up. They get to share what they feel like they want to share. And then they get to see their story through someone else's perspective. And that process of being able to see their story through someone else's eyes can be incredibly therapeutic because we get so focused in our own narrative that it's hard to break out of that. But when you see what someone else is seeing in you, it can be really eye-opening. Mm, incredible. So uh, to really just kind of recap some of the steps that you said you took, um, you've had this amazing experience. You do the twist. There's this awesome following. It could have all stopped there, but you had the drive to say, let's take this momentum, channel it and make it into something that lasts much longer than, than any one person's twist could last. So you get together kind of a core team of, I'm assuming friends, friends at the time and connections yes. and say, look, you all are incredibly smart and you're in the room for a reason. I want to make this into something. From there, you and that core team um, start to, you make a platform. This platform has cancer survivors kind of sharing their call to action on it. One in particular was uh, the young woman who had the art pieces. Next thing you know, there's a ton of art getting posted. And then you say, let's take this and, and throw it in person, face-to-face, -face, because there is nothing like face-to-face. -face. So we continue that journey of sharing. And the world opens up to what is today the premier program for uh, Twist Out Cancer, the Brushes with Cancer event. And what year did all kind of that happen? The first yeah. ever cancer, all those things? 2012. 2012. Wow. So here we are, 2020. Um, we And we've done Brushes with Cancer events in multiple places around the country, right? And around the world too. Yeah. Wow. We've had Tel Aviv and Toronto and Montreal a couple times. So yeah, it's, it blew up. Incredible. Totally blew up. And the quick, kind of the quick, paint the quick picture for someone um, if they were going to attend one of those events. Um, you walk in, what do you see? What do you experience? How does the night go? Yeah. So our Brush of the Cancer program, well, obviously we're doing all virtually now. And I think it's important to talk about that because what's interesting with 
everything that's been going on is that in January, so prior to knowledge about COVID, we actually made a decision as a board to say, you know, we started as this virtual organization. We need to be spending more time in the virtual space. So we made some real decisions about hiring an, an SEO expert, getting our website up to date, trying to figure out can some of these relationships that we're establishing in Brushes with Cancer, can they be done virtually? So in a weird way, we were quite prepared for when COVID hit because we could totally pivot and do it all virtually. We, I had participated actually in our Toronto program and my artist, I, I wanted to see what the experience was like. I think it's important when you're designing a program that you also participate so you can kind of figure out what needs to be fixed and tweaked. So my, my artist was actually an Israeli dancer who was now based in Sweden and he is a costume designer and was doing all the costumes for Miss World and Miss Sweden. So I was, my relationship with him was completely virtual the whole wow. time. I've actually never met him in person and he's someone that I absolutely adore and treasure and he understood my story in a way that I don't know if anyone else has. I mean, he read every blog entry and made all these sketches. He essentially had multiple um, runway designs for what my outfits would look like. And they were all parts of my story. So like each, each like fringe and number that were on it was all represented from different aspects of what I had been through. It was pretty incredible. So I knew firsthand that you can connect with people virtually. It is possible. I mean, I know that also from my cancer experience because my life was, my life existed in the virtual space essentially. But so when COVID happened and we had to pivot to virtual experiences, we had to take this eight year program that is known for having a huge exhibition and gala, right? So like in Chicago, for example, I mean, one year we had 750 guests at our event wow. and we had 50 works of art and it's open bar and dancing and speeches. And it's like going to an amazing wedding. And for some people that have been touched by cancer, this is their night out. This may be their only night out of the year. So how do we take that and turn it into a virtual experience? That is a hard thing to do. And I feel really excited about what we're going to be doing because I think it's going to be amazing and is going to be revolutionary in some ways. But yes, yeah, so the actual event itself is an art exhibition. It's a party. It's a way to connect with people. It's incredibly emotional. It's incredibly uplifting. It doesn't shy away from the hard. We honor the people that we have lost. We talk about all the challenges that people that have been touched by cancer go through, both from the survivor standpoint, the caregiver, the previvor, the family members, the friends. But we also celebrate the incredible resilience that's in the room as well, because there are so many people there that have experienced such tremendous hardship that deserve to be honored and celebrated. And so What's amazing about these, the program and what's amazing about the event itself is the sense of community that is created in, in the actual room. And so the challenge for us this year is how do we do that in a virtual space within the confines? And I think what's going to be really interesting about our programs this year and what I'm already seeing play out. So we have three Brushes with Cancer programs happening sort of simultaneously this year. We have Chicago that's taking place November 14th. We have Austin, Texas on October 25th, and we have a program for the first time at General Motors Design Center. So we're working wow. with all of their artists and inspirations there. So that's in, on September 25th. 
what's interesting is that the relationships, the matches have all never met, right? They've never met in person. And I would argue that the relationships that are happening this time around this year are the most connected and strongest that I've seen because I think there's also an increased level of empathy for the individual touched by cancer because all of us are living with restrictions to some degree right now. And all of us are dealing with what does reentry look like, right? Things are opening and closing. Like there's that level of anxiety. Are our bodies and our minds going to be able to handle this, right? Whether you've had cancer or not, we're all questioning and second guessing. Is this safe? Should I be doing this? Is this the right thing to do? Is this worth doing? Those are the kinds of questions that we have to manage when we're going through treatment. Is it safe to see family? Is it safe to see friends? Can I eat that? Like all those similar questions we're all dealing with. And so I think there's a heightened level of understanding. And I think because everyone is sort of stuck inside or living with new, a new reality, um, there's this really deep down desire to connect with people right now. And so I'm just seeing incredible relationships that are being built. And so that's, that's a really exciting aspect of what we're doing. And as far as the virtual experience goes, we decided very early, I want to say like end of March, that we were going to take all of our galas and turn them into virtual experiences. Mm-hmm. We just proactively made the decision. It's not because we had a crystal ball. It's because we are dealing with the most vulnerable population. And I could not in good conscience say, oh, let's just keep pushing the event back. Let's move it to late fall. We can move it to 2021. I don't know what life is going to look like tomorrow or three months from now or six months from now. And the last thing I want is for someone that is going through cancer treatment to not feel comfortable coming out and being a part of our community event. Mm-hmm. And in a way, being able to do these virtual experiences, these virtual galas, we now are able to tap into the cancer patient that is stuck in the hospital, the, the family member that has been visiting their loved one and is really stuck um, or is at home and is recovering and is not able to get dressed up and come out to a big 750 person event. It's just not something that we... Um, that it, those are the, those are people that we wanted to reach and couldn't figure out how to reach. And now we're going to be able to include. And so I'm really excited about this sort of new phase of brushes with cancer. And I think we have this unique ability to also scale up and scale faster because if we are not wedded to these huge wedding-esque events happening multiple times in a year. And let's say we only do one a year, but we have these virtual experiences happening in multiple cities. We could reach so many more people. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for the future brushes and what it's going to look like. Awesome. When it comes to, you know, on this podcast, we want to figure out the science of social impact. So for you, uh, if you were trying to play back like the formula to starting brushes with cancer, not just starting, but bringing it to what it is today, What are the elements, like what is the science of your social impact? I think that from the beginning, we've been willing to pivot, right? So when I first started Twist, it was an online community. And then I realized it can't just be online. It has to also be in person. And then this year we realized, wait, we've forgotten our online community. We need to be doing online. So constantly listening to what our community members are saying is so key. Like just because 
I know in my gut we should be doing X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that's what we should be doing. Every decision that we make as an organization has a tremendous amount of thought and buy-in from our board members. And I will say, you know, in addition to, to doing a lot of listening and learning, we also have just the most tremendous group of leaders that are involved with us. And I think when I first started Twist, it was a group of my friends. And when I say my friends, it was my best friends that were at the table with me. And while I love them dearly, some of them were not the best board members. And as I became, you know, more empowered and really understanding what my role was, it became very awkward to have to get on them about their involvement and and they were doing it for me and not doing it for the organization. And now that we're, you know, nine years in existence, the people that are around the table with me have been directly impacted by cancer and have been directly impacted by our programming. And those are your best ambassadors. And those are the people that you need to be able to help shape the, the work of the organization and to be able to ensure that the organization carries on and has a solid mission and that we're reaching the people that we need to reach. So I think, you know, listening and then having the right people around the table is so important. Mm-hmm. Awesome answer. So uh, for everyone listening, I think we heard uh, really three, three awesome, you know, parts, three awesome factors to the science of Jenna's social impact. And those three would be, you know, flexibility to pivot, listening to know kind of when, where, and how to pivot, and then surrounding yourself with great people. And so if you can bring those three into the formula that you're starting to make wherever you are, you're, you're obviously and instantly going to have, um, you know, some momentum that you can start to build. Um, so we appreciate you sharing those with us, Jenna. Um, if someone wants to support um, Twist Out Cancer and the work that you've been doing, can you tell us about uh, ways that someone can support and how they connect with you and your work? Yeah, the, the best way is to go on the website, twistoutcancer.org. You can learn all about brushes with cancer. You can learn about our twist shops, which are art therapy workshops that we run that are virtually done now. They're free. They're done every Tuesday. They're open to the public. You don't have to be touched by cancer to participate. That's another great way to get involved. Um, We run our brushes with cancer programs typically once a year, but there's multiple programs at a time. They're all full right now and we're getting ready for our exhibitions, but I would say definitely come participate, be a viewer, get a ticket come and experience what it's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. Um, and you can always obviously email me at Jenna at twistoutcancer.org. I'm accessible. Follow us on social media. We're pretty much everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. Um, before I hand over the mic to you to wrap up, just a quick question. The video, the twisting video, is that still on YouTube? Can we still find that? Oh yeah. You don't have to dig very far, but just, you know, I think it's 30 seconds. Turn your volume up. You'll hear the lamp fall. Got it. What would I be typing (laughs) into YouTube to find that? Um, I think it would just be like chubby checker or Jenna chubby checker twist. Got it. Cool. Yeah, You'll find it. (laughs) I will make sure that we link in the show notes to this episode, the YouTube URL to uh, watch that video um, and see you in all of your glory doing that twist. I'm sure it's an awesome, (laughs) awesome video. Uh, But we're going to, we're going to give you the mic uh, now, Jenna, to wrap us up uh, and really just give us your kind of final thoughts on why, you know, when you share the world opens up. Well, I just think that you know, there's this tendency to retreat when we experience something that's really hard, especially when it comes to cancer or any type of medical or health crisis. And I would just encourage you to resist that urge to retreat and to sort of 
you know, leave and disconnect from the world around you, I would encourage you to do the exact opposite and do what you can, whether that's reaching out to a family member or a friend, or whether that's putting it into writing or doing something creative with your experience. I think the more that we open up about the heart and about our own experiences, you just have no idea who you're going to impact. So. Awesome. Well said. Well, when you share, the world opens up. And we've been talking today with Jenna Ben Scherscher, founder and CEO of Twist Out Cancer. Thanks so much for your work and for making an awesome social impact on the world. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you.